welcome to this week's episode of Seen It All, where we break down this past week's biggest movie and TV news. And the big news of this week is my Scream 6 review. I just got out of it, and as I was saying this, I love this movie so much. Get out and see this film. Um, I've only seen Scream 5, though. I haven't seen 1, 2, 3, or 4. So, I mean, take my word with a grain of salt. But I've only seen Scream 5. I saw it last year and I love that film. I thought I saw it with my friend and we were all surprised. We were surprised because that was the first Scream film we've seen. So I love the requel commentary. So I enjoyed that one. And this one's on a whole nother level. Some critics are calling this film repetitive, but I've only seen one prior Scream film. So it didn't feel repetitive to me because I liked all these characters and I hadn't seen this action before. But let me just say the fights. The fights with Ghostface, they were the highlight of the movie. He was very formidable here. Like, more formidable than, like, Michael Myers in some of these movies. He was great. He was so fast. And some of these other other films, the the villains, all the horror villains, they walk so slow and it gets so boring. But here, he moves quick. He moves quick and he takes out anyone that's in his way. And let's just break down some of my favorite action scenes. So we had the opening, the opening kill like they usually do with... Uh, this time it was a Samara Weaving as the blonde opening kill. And she was, I'm not going to say anything about her fate, but she was fantastic. I loved her as the opening. And these are the same directors who worked with her on Ready or Not, where she was the lead there. And she just, she's a great actress. Some people compare her to Margaret Robbie. I think they're, they're pretty similar, but I think she's wonderful. And I liked her. I liked her part of this franchise. And then we also had Ghostface attacking the apartment building. And you've seen in the trailers where the, the, their heroes have to climb out of their apartment building on a ladder to get to another apartment building. Ooh, that was so tense. That was probably the tensest I've been in a movie in a quite a bit because they dragged it out. People were bleeding and oh, oh, it was so tense. And you really felt the, f- you really felt relatable to these characters because this was like a real world threat of, of what was going on. I'm not going to give you specifics. And then we also had the Courtney Cox was attacked by, by the villain and she her playing gail weathers gail weathers she is she's screwed up but it's okay she wrote she keeps writing books about all the stuff that's happening keeps she keeps screwing everything up now she doesn't have dewey she doesn't have anyone she loves in her life but she is a freaking badass um she has a great fight she's so smart with her gun she's just she's a great character in this franchise and i hope to see more of her and then the i gotta say the subway sequence they talked the subway sequence where they've They've used that most of the marketing, but it kind of has been ruined by how much they put in the marketing because it felt like I've seen the whole, I've seen, you've basically seen everything in the trailers and the lights kept going in and out and it just pissed me off how, or maybe it is realistic. I don't, I haven't been to New York, but oh, it just made me so mad how, how long the lights were cutting out. I was like, stop. <laughs> so maybe it was just super tense, but I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy that. It made me very upset. I, I like kills when it seems plausible, not when not when it's just like making me angry when it makes me angry i don't like it and then the final fight i'm not going to give anything about it but that was even better they had the characters i loved the most were part of the final fight and the killer reveals they were uh, they were okay um the killers of the screen five i thought they were way better i thought they had much funnier motives and i i liked them better their pairing this time the killers they were uh they were okay but they put up a they put up a very formidable f- let me say they won they didn't i'm not gonna say they won i'm not gonna say they lost but they 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 brought some heat they brought some heat or he brought some heat or she brought some heat i'm not gonna spoil who whoever was the killer and then let's break down so sydney prescott nev, nev campbell didn't return to this film i don't think she ha- should have left because this this film's probably gonna make a lot more money when she's absent and 
it's Sam, the characters Sam and Tess take over for her and they take over in stride i love them as our main protagonists and sam specifically who's more more of the focus in this film and her father being billy from the first film i know i know about it and she has that violent that violent side to her that makes it very interesting as protagonist when she's she's being accused of killing all those people in the last movie people think she did it and it's kind of believable that they would do that because she is looks very violent. She has those she has those scary eyes that are that Billy had. So she when she gets mad, oh she gets mad and she definitely does some stabbing in this film. And then Tara, played by Jenna Ortega, she was probably the best part of this film along with Courtney Cox. I love I love both these actresses. And Jenna Ortega is just showing her range from Wednesday and now this and I kinda liked her character the best. I felt I don't know. I felt more attached to her. I was like, please don't kill her off. I want her for all these future se- future sequels. And then Corey. Corey was back from Scream 4, which I said before I haven't seen, but her character was really solid here. They always they kept you guessing about her motives. And coming from someone who's never seen Scream 4, I had no idea what I was in store for. And she was great. And then the audience loved her too. I, I had a bunch of people on my screen yelp whenever she came on, and I thought that was great. And she she's definitely she definitely plays a big part in this film. So if you're if you're um your Corey fan, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be disappointed. And then the New York setting for this franchise was great. It finally brings something new to this franchise, and it's so scary because you could be killed while surrounding by people. And sometimes that made me angry, like I say with the with the subway scene. I'm not gonna say anybody died, but getting attacked when people around you, it's like, oh, it just makes me I guess it's kind of realistic. But I don't want to visit New York anytime soon if it's like this. <laughs> just be able just be out be able to be out in the open, surrounded by people, and still be able to to get stabbed and but overall i got i highly recommend this film i think it's even better than cocaine bear which i love and dang horrors bringing it so far this year with megan cocaine bear and now this so i i'm definitely gonna try to get out and see this film again and then critics are pretty positive about this film i think it has it had the same critic rating as the first scream which is the highest of the franchise and this thing's definitely gonna overperform scream 5 last year opened around 30 million i think and that was pretty well for a franchise that had been dead for what a decade and now this film i think this film's gonna go above 40 possibly even touch 50 i think it's a great one it's a great film and two people love the last movie so i think i could see especially with jenna ortega star rising because of wednesday this film is gonna make a lot a lot of money on its small relatively 35 million dollar budget so paramount's got another winner on their hand and then let's move to the other film i saw i did a double feature i timed it just right right when one ended i jumped into the other one and so that would be 65 that means 65 million years ago and i thought this was a pretty solid film um the studio held back the view and the review embargo till like an hour ago and i thought that was a little odd because i mean it wasn't an awful movie i don't i don't i haven't checked the critics score but i don't think many people are gonna hate this film i think most people are gonna enjoy it and maybe it might just be me because i'm super biased towards dinosaurs i love dinosaurs i love all the jurassic park and jurassic world movies even the ones that i think are bad i still love them because if you had anything if you had like like a wise man once said if you add ninjas and dinos to anything it's great it's great they make everything better but some of the designs here for the dinos were awful they didn't even look like dinos they just looked like weird lizard creatures which i mean i understand they want to make them look more vicious but i also wanted a sense of, of reality to it besides the t-rex the t-rex I, it didn't look like a real t-rex but it still looked really cool the rest of them just just put me off but the t-rex for some reason i really liked it especially during the end fight it he looked they looked pretty pretty cool and i also got to mention the futuristic technology so adam driver he comes from a future planet that crash lands on here and i love the guns that 
they looked pretty cool and then the gps that he had to track everything that had like 3d holograms that was pretty cool and then the ship the ship uh it kind of kind of fell apart there but um it was a cool design i i love the i love science fiction and i love whenever they're able to imbue these really cool designs and they totally did i love i love how when they were trying to find food to eat you just popped it in this thing and it told you if you could eat it or not so i love i love stuff like that and then adam driver he was great. He was great. He just keeps going on to be one of my favorite actors that's working right now. I loved him as Kylo Ren. I loved him in Marriage Story. He should have gotten that Oscar. And he's really the only only real character in this film. I mean, there's two other char- two or three other characters that you meet, but he's the one who's doing most of the talking, and he's doing the one that you most connected to. And he did his action scenes well. I loved it. He had a few scuffles with some dinosaurs, and the way he moved around, he got beat up in this film and you felt every punch he got, he took and i hope i hope we see him as the rumored reed richards in fantastic four and the mcu i think that'd be great i hope adam driver just continues to do better and better and better and i he's gonna get that oscar one day the young girl in this film i have to say the actress she did a great job i'm nothing against her but i found her character to be so annoying she didn't speak adam driver's language so she didn't say much other than other than words he repeated or something in her language under her breath it was a good storytelling device, but the writers made her act so stupid. And it was really annoying because she kept running into these dinos' layers. And I was like, stop. Just listen to him. And towards the end of the film, she starts making a hissy fit when they can get off this planet. I was like, stop. So, I don't know. She, she kind of annoyed me. And then they hit a lot of this movie from the marketing, from the opening, from a whole um, a whole side to Adam Driver's character that I'm not going to talk about. So I'm going to refrain from saying anything else other than this This movie had great dinosaur sequences. Let me just say that. It had a lot. It kind of helped hard to ratchet up the tension until the very end because it felt like every time they got attacked, it was by a similar creature. But the end attack, oh, they definitely, they definitely went on top. But I don't want to ruin any more of the surprises. So I just got to say, you guys should probably go. This is a family film. I think... I think it had a good message about family, and I think I think people are gonna like this movie. I don't I don't understand why they held off the review embargo, and they spent a lot of money on this movie. They spent a lot of money. I think they've spent ninety million dollars, and no one's going to see this film. I mean, they did have a Super Bowl spot, but they haven't they haven't really advertised this film very a lot. The reviews were held, like I just said, pushing away audiences who thought this film was gonna be awful, and it's not. And the film's probably gonna only open around ten to twelve million dollars, which. It's not good. This movie's not going to make any money. It's going to lose a lot of money, which I think is insane. So I say go see this film. I think I think you're going to have a good time. It was a good solid movie. It was only an hour and a half. So for those people who can't stand the long movies, go see this one because Scream's even two hours. So go see this film or go see Cocaine Bear because those are both just an hour and a half. So I think you'd like those. And then now let's move on to this past week's box office. So Creed 3. My brother, I was wrong. I predicted mid 40s is what it's going to make. My brother was right. Creed 3, it even beat his projections of 56 million. Creed 3, way overperform. I mean, way overperform. It opened to $58 million for its opening weekend. This is huge. It comes above the first Creed's of 29 million and the second Creed's 35 million. And it even beats the five day Thanksgiving totals of Creed 2. That's five days over a holiday. And these three day weekend in March beats it. And the film got an A minus on cinema score, so audiences are love it. Anything a A minus or above is great. And I think the word of mouth is just gonna keep building and building and building. And this is the biggest opening for the entire Rocky franchise. So I think this this 
this is Michael this is Michael B. Jordan's win. As a director and the star, he took the franchise home away from Sylvester Stallone, which was a big risk. Even Sylvester Stallone was trying to take it out, and he couldn't even take down this film. And I think he's gonna have his pick at the next film he wants to direct. Studios are already lining up, I think, for Michael B. Jordan to direct their next project. He might stay on this franchise, but he has his pick of whatever he wants. And then Jonathan Majors, he's also the first star since Jessica Chastain back in 2010 or whatever to have two films open number one back to back. That's crazy. He is he's a star and he's here to stay yeah he's he's a great actor i'm so glad this is happening to him and it definitely bodes well for the future of the franchise they already talked about they're doing creed 4 and now they came out news that they're going to focus on his make maybe make a spinoff about creed's daughter which i didn't like that part of the movie like i said last week so i don't know about that but if they have michael b jordan directing i'll be all here for it and i know my brother wants wants one of the uh, wants a spinoff of the spanish fighter in creed 3 so I, I think he might get it. <laughs> and then this win's also inspiring confidence in Amazon. Amazon just acquired MGM Studios for about $4 billion, I think it was, a couple years ago. And this is their first big release in the in the, the theatrical space. They've been putting a lot of their stuff straight to Prime Video. And this, this is their first one to do it. And it's come out that, that they're going to be investing much more into franchises to make movies such as they said, like Robocop, Poltergeist, Legally Bond, and as I said, Creed and tons more. And Amazon's here to play in the theatrical industry. And I'm I'm pretty happy for it. I mean, I'm not all for monopolies, but I'm glad we're getting another studio in the mix to compete. And I think this is great for film fans because you get more. And then their next film's gonna be Air by uh about the Michael B. Jordan shoe. And I think that's gonna do well too, and it looks great. And I it's already had I'm pretty sure some people have come out and said it's great. So I think that could be best picture contender. So they're just going to, Amazon is just going to ride this wave and they're going to continue to dominate. They're going to make so many more films, which is great for the theater industry. So, and then let's talk about Ant-Man again. Ant-Man is still falling. It fell another 60% to, I think, 13, 11 to 13 million this week. And the word of mouth is awful on this film. As I said, this movie is not good in audiences agree with me they don't think it's good either it's it's now looking like this moon this film will finish with around 200 to 210 200 to 210 million domestic which i believe matches the first one from 2015 but comes in 10 million dollars under the sequel in 2018 this is worldwide numbers and that's that's insane that's insane this is not good worldwide it might not even make 500 million dollars the first ant-man made 520 million dollars and ant-man and wasp ant-man and wasp made 620 million this is just this is an awful result and i think hopefully this will have the side effects on marvel to make these films better i think it already caused them to push back so many things and take more time and i think i think this is finally showing marvel that, that we're not going to just going to take everything they gotta they gotta go back to how it was and actually work on these don't overwhelm the audience with how much content you're putting out so take it make everything as best as you can and don't spread yourselves too thin and i think this is actually teaching them that lesson and then let's talk about cocaine bear this weekend cocaine bear held quite strong in the second week and only fell 53 percent to 11 million this is a great result for a horror film they typically fall above around 60 above 60 percent and that just shows to show this good word of mouth that's having a great effect specifically my great word of mouth i'd like to take credit for this because this movie's great and michelle 
I had her on a couple weeks ago. She loved this movie too, and audiences are too. And this film is likely going to finish its run with 70 million domestic. And I also think it's going to do great on Homefront, like streaming on Peacock and where you buy it. This is this movie's making bank because they didn't spend a ton of money on this. And then Elizabeth Banks, the director, is going to be directing another film quite soon. This is her first real big win, and she needed it after the failure of Charles Angels and then Pitch Perfect Two. That wasn't. That wasn't a big success, so her career needed this to stay around. If this had failed, she probably wasn't going to direct any more films, but she won, and I can't wait to see what she does next, so I'm all here for it. Now let's transition over to some Star Wars news. So, let's give some background info before we get started on the juiciness of the story. Back in 2019, Star Wars Future was looking the Star Wars franchise future was looking bright as ever. This was like December of 2019, right before COVID, right before all that stuff. Mandalorian had just premiered to resounding success and rise of skywalker was coming out soon on its way to obliterate the box office just like the past two films mandalorian turned out to be mandalorian was great it was great but rise of skywalker eh, it kind of obliterated the fan base which most people hated the film i enjoyed it myself i still think it's better than most of the prequels so i don't know it, star wars fan base is completely divided but it it doesn't help when they don't make fantastic films. I wouldn't call this a great film, but I I still enjoyed it. I, but uh, so with the Mandalorian success, they've continued to make tons and tons of jokes for Disney Plus. But after Rise of Skywalker, they haven't made any more movies. The movie faction of Star Wars has been dead in the water since then. And we got the news back in 2020 at Disney Investor Day that Patty Jenkins would be directing a Star Wars film called Rogue, Rogue Squadron where she did this great announcement where she walked out and got an X-Wing. It was great. I was so excited for it. But it was later pushed back for script revisions. It was it was supposed to come out in 2023. That ain't happening. It was pushed back for script revisions after failure. That was Wonder Woman 1984 from Patty Jenkins, director. She took sole credit of that, and that, that, that wiped out. I think that had a big, big impact on this. And it's now come out. The, the project just has been totally shelved, not pushed back. There's no foreseeable future of the film, which I'm very sad about. But if it means we're we're pushing these things back for good movies, I'm okay with it. And then we also heard a couple years ago that Kevin Feige, the Marvel producer, would be producing his own Star Wars film with the Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, and Loki writer Michael Waldron. He was set to write the film. And now Michael Waldron is writing Avengers Secret Wars, and Kevin Feige's just gone endless endless mcu projects so it looks like this project's been shelved as well and i i think this is for the better i think it's for the better that kevin feige is going to be focusing on making the best marvel content possible which is which is definitely what he needs to do and then there's still this movie there's still star wars movie scheduled to release december of 2025 I don't know if that's going to happen, but if it does happen, it looks like this film is either going to be David Lindelof's film, which he's actively casting casting right now, and I think he's already written it. He's the creator of the show Watchmen, and I love that show, and I haven't really seen much else from him, but I, I, hope, I think this could be good, and I think this is going to be the most plausible film that could go there. But the film that most other people are thinking is going to take the spot is Taika Waititi's Star Wars film, which he's currently writing, he's going to direct it, and now it's come out that he's going to star in it as well. And it said this will be a similar size to the role he had in Jojo in the jo- his Jojo jo Rabbit film where he played he played his version of Hitler. But I mean, I'm all here for Taika Waititi's Star Wars film. I love Thor Ragnarok, and I thought Thor Love and Thunder was pretty good. It's definitely not as bad as everyone claims it to be. I enjoyed myself. And Taika Waititi also directed the season one finale of The Mandalorian, which is one of the best episodes of the show. So he already has shown his excellent the Star Wars universe. But the part I don't like about this news is him starring in it. I hate Korg. 
in Thor movies every time he shows up. I find him so annoying. I wish he really did die in Thor, Lo- Thor Love and Thunder when he was given that fake death scene. Just just let him die. He just he got on my nerves. And I really don't want Taika Waititi star in this film. I'm kind of tired of his style of comedy, so I approaches. I hope he approaches, if he does end up starring, I hope he approaches this role with some more seriousness, like his role of the droid IG-88 in Mandalorian. Even if that was just a voice, it was pretty serious. So if he can make this star film serious, like his Mandalorian episode, I'm all here for it, but I don't want to get a Thor-style film in the Star Wars universe, because the Thor universe is already quite similar to the Star Wars universe. But now, let's address the big picture. I believe this now counts nine projects that have been announced for Star Wars that have been announced and then shelved under this leadership of Kathleen Kennedy. But all you people that hate on Kathleen Kennedy, she is a fantastic producer. She is. She did Jurassic Park. She did Indiana Jones. She did... E.T., she's done so many things, and Steven Spielberg calls her one of the best producers of all time. So, let me get that straight for all you people who think she's just an awful producer, but she is not good at running a movie studio, and I think this news just signifies that her tenure at Lucasfilm is coming to an end with, um, I think it's going to come to end with Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny. I think she's going to leave right after that departs or right before, and I think she's going to go out on top, and I hope my choice for replacement would be the duo of John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I think they work great. They've already shown they can connect projects and plan serious. out a cohesive story. Something that Kennedy did not do with her Star Wars trilogy, which I still don't understand how why she didn't do that with her Star Wars trilogy. So, so I think this just bodes well that new leadership is and should be coming for Lucasfilm, and I am all here for it. And then let's get into my Last of Us. Last of Us Episode Eight review is out. Wow. What an episode. This might be my new favorite of the series or right up there with episode five, which, as I said, I loved. And it was so violent and emotionally draining. And the only way I'm going to discuss this is, is with spoilers. So you have been warned. Um, this week, we get to meet a new group of people. Just it seems like every episode we meet some new character of the week. And I, I'm kind of all for it. It's, it's more like a TV show. And this week, we get to meet a cult. And kids, cults are never OK. And if your movie has a cult as a villain, I will root for their downfall so hard. Cults are the ultimate villains to me, and they get under my skin so much. And this cult acts as our villain, and man, does it does does this set, shut does this show just show humanity that we all need to mind our damn business? That just goes to show. This show just shows me that that we just need to we just need to leave each other alone. And we also get to see the ramifications of Joel's actions. In episode six, he killed a man who who had a had a daughter and belonged to the belonged to this cult who who wanted who now this group wants a vengeance and joel's actions have consequences although i really just wanted to leap through my screen screen and yell at those people for attacking joel and ellie in the first place like it's your own fault you came after him you he had to defend himself so i mean what are you gonna do and see what i'm talking about these things get my blood boy and all these cults and semantics and stuff if you're gonna attack someone they have the right to defend themselves and you cannot take vengeance against them for doing so so and then Ellie gets medicine for Joe, for Joel, and saves him, which makes me happy, but Ellie has to take care of herself this episode. She eventually gets captured by this cult, and the leader, who calls who calls himself the father, and I'm pretty sure he tried to make her his wife, and he was like 40, so yeah, I think it was, it was time for him to die when he was just acting like a pedophile, and then we find out that this cult are all cannibals. So yeah, cults are bad, and this dude is not a good father. <laughs> Also, he also gave a speech about supporting Cordyceps, which I found very weird and it made it sound like he loved them or maybe he just admired their ability to take over the world, but who knows, this dude was just 
off the charts crazy and i was ready for him to die but at this point ellie she skillfully saved herself by distracting them with her infected wound she she held that card she held that card up her sleeve and then she finally played it she waited the whole season to play it and she finally did it, and it works perfectly um worked perfectly she took out one dude until she had that final showdown with the father and just wax him over and over again she's gonna need some therapy because that's so much for a young girl to handle but i was rooting for her to get that man and oh boy she did she finally makes out and meets up with joel and that joy that spread over my face was immeasurable like the joe like the showrunner said joel does not save her physically like he usually does which is what we were all expecting seeing him try to get back into the town and break in and save her last minute but he saved her emotionally this episode and the hug the two embraced was just so beautiful joe calls her his baby girl which the last time he called someone that was his daughter before she died and joel finally has a daughter again and ellie finally has a father and it was just this episode was just all around great and solidifies that bella ramsey along with pedro pascal are gonna be front runners for the emmys next year totally the emotion that they made me feel from just a hug was was fantastic and next week's the season finale of the show and i can't wait to see how they wrap it up i don't want it to end but the on the next episode that they showed the little clips from next week it didn't show give away very much but it did show we're gonna get some zombie action which i'm looking forward to i've kind of missed some zombie action this in the game this the storyline that we're following had a ton more zombie action they've cut it out to focus more on the human drama and i'm for and against it i kind of want some zombie zombie action on our zombie show but i'm sure we're gonna get some some next week but after next week we're probably gonna have to wait like two years to see these characters again which makes me so sad i don't want this show to end but it's coming it's coming to a close and i don't even know if they're gonna do another they're probably only gonna do one more season which is sad and then next topic i have today is some marvel news first let's address the sony spider-man universe news as i've said previously i hate the sony spider-man movie so much the venom movies they play it too fit safe and i find them both so boring and bad morbius though was on a whole nother level in awfulness and you know why because they're because they're building a spider-man universe that does not have spider-man you can't do that there's your right answer right there they need they either need a miles morales spider-man or maybe a spider woman and it looks like we have a spider woman sydney sweeney who is it's come out that she's playing a spider woman it's unknown to which version i'm not that familiar with the different versions of the characters but this is the first exciting news i've seen come from sony spider spider-man universe in a long time I love Sydney Sweeney and White Lotus. I haven't seen Euphoria, but she was just fantastic on White Lotus. And I think she's going to do great here. I think she's definitely going to do great. Um, Spider-Woman will be making her first appearance in Madam Web movie, which is a rap shooting. It will come out February 16th of next year, I believe so, for uh, President's Day weekend, I think. And Dakota Johnson, she plays Madam Web, a character who is, if anything, like the comics, should not have her own movie. She's an old lady that can't really do any fighting, so who knows but if every bit of news that's coming out this film has kind of made me excited which i don't want to get my hopes up too much it seems it's totally a terminator ripoff story but terminator ripping off terminator terminator's a good story so i mean if you're gonna rip off something rip off something good and something good they did rip off so it seems like madam webb has got to go back in time to save peter parker spider-man's parents who's going to be played one of them's going to be played by adam scott from being killed by a spider-man villain i really like the sound of that it's totally like i said it's total rip off of terminator but i think it could be great and now we have news of Spider-Woman who's being played by an actress that I love. And this film actually has me excited for the Sony Spider-Man universe. Who would have thought that? But I I don't... Until I see the movie, I don't want to get too stoked. Because we still got Craven before that coming out. Craven, I think, is going to be really bad. So, I don't know. 
And then along with this, there's a ru- there's uh, the, along with this reveal, there's also now a rumor that a film that this Madam Web film will lead into a Spider Woman standalone movie that could be shooting in 2024. I'm all here for this. I'm all here for this. As long as she does a good job, Madam Web. That's number one. And then the other Marvel our Marvel news we have is John Bernthal is back as Punisher. But let me get out of this way first. This topic is coming from someone who has never watched the Netflix Marvel shows besides like one episode of Daredevil. So I'm hoping to watch them all before the release of the show Echo. So, but I just got to preface that because I'm not entirely familiar with this iteration of these characters beyond what Charlie Cox did in She-Hulk and Spider-Man No Way Home and the one episode I saw Daredevil. So, I mean, we'll see. I love his iteration Daredevil. And from fans' reactions to this topic, it seems people have the same reaction to John Bernthal as Punisher. So, I mean, it has come out that he's back as Punisher to be a part of the 18 episode of Daredevil Born series. It doesn't say how many episodes i don't think it's gonna be that many to be honest with you because the news is coming out so late but it's great news um these 18 episodes are gonna have a lot of time to fill and i'm happy we're finally getting punisher back news also came out that carly cox's daredevil and vincent d'onofrio's um his kingpin will also be a part of the echo series to lead into their own show echo seems kind of pointless to me and this might be the one reason everyone watches it and it probably won't even come out to the end of the year if that and it's already done shooting so it's just it's off it's it's all odd just make a daredevil show and then the other question is are they going to neuter punisher with the character being on disney plus are they going to turn on the violence that is essential to his character i mean he is called the punisher that's got to be my one hesitation about this news but i'm still optimistic and with kevin feige's recent steps to make better content he has significantly reestablished my faith in him to deliver great content but even if the content is mediocre it's still better than whatever sony spider-man content they're putting out by themselves <laughs> <laughs> and then next up we have avatar the way of water is finally getting a digital release it's releasing on digital platforms to buy on march 28th it will not be releasing on dvd blu-ray on that day nor on disney plus every single one of disney's big movies since the creation of disney plus has been released there whenever it hits digital i wonder if this spells new developments for the company on who they release their content on how they release their content in the home medium this could be just something that james cameron had in his contract before disney bought 20th century fox to where he gets like a profit of the digital release so disney can't legally just put it on disney plus the same day so um i think it's a smart business decision I, i selfishly and i think most of the people want this to go on disney plus the same day and it's not going to happen. It's probably going to be like another 30 days, which is ridiculous. And then accompanying the purchase of this film, you will also receive three hours of behind the scene content. Now, this is going to what is going to make me buy this film before his Disney Plus, even though I've seen it six times. I can't wait to see how they put this film together, the technology they used and the actor's expressions to how the CGI makes them look. I love the side by side. I think that's great. And then I miss the old days of receiving three plus hours of behind the scenes content for each big release. They did it with Lord of the Rings and they did it with a bunch of other stuff. And I, I love just sitting back and watching the behind the scenes content if it's made well and i'm gonna be watching all three hours of those and i'll definitely be buying this film early even if it's going to be on disney plus shortly after um buying this film i can finally show it to my some of my family members who saw that three hour runtime too daunting and now they can watch it in chunks <laughs> yeah I, I was i got a few of them to go but most of them i couldn't get them to sit three hours in a film so and then i think they're gonna love it and they're definitely gonna regret not having seen it in theaters i told them we can go twice and then we can take a break in the middle of the movie and then come back in a later showing but i'd recommend it to all my listeners to go and buy this film because you will not be disappointed it is such a good movie it's one of my favorite movies of last year so go out there and watch it and then the last topic i have today is my mandalorian season three episode two review um this contains spoilers by the way i enjoyed this week's episode of mandalorian i still think i liked last week's more though i thought it was more entertaining we started off this episode by meeting up with Pelimoto 
pretty sure that's her name. And I love her character because she's always so funny and her connecting with the Jawa is so cute. She loves Grogu so much. She's just like all of us. And Mandu comes there to get to the IG-88 droid party needs, but ends up leaning with the R-series droid that was in the first Star Wars. I, I found this quite confusing. I wonder if Mandu still needs IG-88 then? But if he doesn't, then aren't those most of those scenes from the first episode not matter now? And then I also thought Mando didn't trust other droids, so this was a little confusing to me. And I don't know, it felt it felt like bad writing. It felt like we just had to go back to Tatooine for some reason, so I don't understand. And then Mando and, Gro- Mando and Grogu land on Mandalore, and I love being able to see this planet for the first time in live action, especially the underground city. It was so cool from watching it in an animated show and seeing it here. And Mando has to fight off some creatures whose faces I thought looked so creepy and such like classic Star Wars is perfect. And then Mando gets captured once they reach the lower grounds for this of the city by this weird one-eye robot cyborg thing and I didn't care for this creature like it. It seems everyone else did, but it it did pique my curiosity. He was able to capture the Mandalorian and it was drawing his blood for some reason, but I didn't find his design to be anything too unique. I like the I like the other classic Star Wars monsters better. And then Grogu runs off runs off to save Din, and he goes to get Bo-Katan. It was a great scene with him using the Force and the music. The music was fantastic during the scene. I just have to point out, they had a new composer this season who took up took over for Ludwig Gorson, and she's doing a great job, So especially during that Grogu scene where he was running away. And then... Um, and then Grogu finally reaches Bo-Katan, who's still brooding in her castle, and I think she was the highlight of this episode. I love I love her ship so much, her, her starship so much, and it feels so grounded. You see the wings shaking in the wind, and it looked great. And then we also get to see the emotion on her face when she revisits her old city, especially coming from watching the animated series. You can definitely tell it has an effect on her. And then Bo-Katan, she rescues Din from the from the weird monster thing while using the dark saber. She's so much better at using the saber than Mando is, and she definitely is going to get it back by the end of the season, I think. And Bo-Katan was the reason the Empire made its way into Mandalore, and I think she blames herself. So she has, she also blames herself for the death of her sister and her father. They were leaders of the planet, and I think this definitely is a good internal conflict for her this season. And Mando even comforts her by saying, "This is the way." And I thought it was just a great response. And I think we might have some romantic chemistry going on between these two, and I'm all here for it. So I think they'd be a good couple. And at the end of the episode, we finally reach the mines of Mandalore, and Din Djarin he jumps in the water. And this was the standout of the episode, as it ends with Bo-Katan saving Din in the water and coming face-to-face with a mythosaur. Oh, that was so cool. It was a creature that the first Jedi Mandalorian used to unite their whole people. And it just looks so cool, and it was so big, and many people thought they were extinct. But I really hope we get to see either Din or Bo-Katan riding it later in the season, and I think they will. It's going to be great. The setup, let me just say, the setup and payoff riding in this episode was great. We had... Din Djarin teaching Grogu about navigating and then he had to go and use the navigating to get to Bo-Katan and then we had Bo-Katan reading the plaque that mentioned the Mythosaur right before we saw the Mythosaur so it was great setup and payoff and then I think it's just overall a very solid episode of Mandalorian I didn't think it was anything too amazing but I've enjoyed every episode of Mandalorian like I love the show and I can't wait for next week because I think that's when we're going to see the Mandalorian Fang Fighter versus the TIE Intercepts which we've seen in the trailer and I love I love good, some good starship battles so I can't wait for 2am next Wednesday and then lastly let's talk on stuff coming out next week so next week shazam fury of the gods opens next thursday and like i said on the first episode of the show i'm not really looking forward to this film i enjoyed the first one but thought there wasn't anything too notable about it just like the ant-man films i kind of just feel eh about these movies the trailers haven't done anything to get my excitement up 
The only reason I'm looking forward to it at all is because of the villains, Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, and Rachel Zegler. They all look fantastic. But then they all get tramped by Zachary Levi, who's totally done with his role, especially with all the all the political stuff he's gone about recently. The dude, dude, why are you stirring up controversy right before your movie opens? I'm not with or against you, but just stop making people not like you or some people side for you than making this movie about pl- politics. It doesn't need to be about politics. Plus, I don't even think he does a great job as a role. He's supposed to be playing, playing the same person as Astro Angel, but I don't believe that one bit, LOL. And, but we'll see. I'm going to go into this film with an open mind, but I don't have high hopes. Audiences don't have high hopes either for it, as it's projected to open with less than the original made, which was only about $50 million, so it's, it's not looking too bright for this film. Although, I do have to say first reactions came out for this film, and they're pretty solid, so not as high as John Wick's four's first reactions, but the reactions are pretty solid, so I mean, I don't know. I think I like it. I think I think I'll enjoy it. I don't think it's going to open as, with as much money as the first one did. I think it's going to open around $40 million, so that doesn't bode well. And... That's going to do us for this week's episode of Seen It All. I hope you join us next week for my review of Sam Vera Gods and The Last of Us finale. I, it's going to be a great episode. I can't wait to talk about both those films. And I also have to ask, would you please follow the show? We are on all the social platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I just hope, hope you all join us back here for next week. And thank you all for listening tonight. Bye-bye.